Welcome to the podcast of RUF at Boston University. Well, I'm Nathan. I'm the campus minister with RUF, and we are in this series on Revelation. So I'm going to start with a little story, um, and y'all probably can relate to this. Uh, Our old house, so we just moved this past summer, but our old house had these smoke alarms or, or fire detectors that would not work uh, they were really glitchy, and so they would go off at all the wrong times. I have two really young kids, and so they would go off during nap time. They would go off in the middle of the night, uh, during phone calls, like you name it. The wrong time for a smoke alarm to go off and say, fire, 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 <laughs> it would happen. So one time um, I was uh, getting or up really early, I think at like 5 a.m. or something for an early flight. I had to get to Logan, so I had everything set out. I was tiptoeing around, trying not to wake anyone, and um, had done it. I had succeeded in not waking anyone up, and I was reaching for the front door, and I hear, fire, fire, <laughs> fire, fire. And of course, there was not a fire. It just so happened that, for whatever reason, these glitchy smoke detectors went off. Um, so we have these kind of warning systems in our life. You know, we go for an annual checkup at the doctor. They will let us know, hey, you need to stop eating so much sugar or you're drinking too much caffeine, your heart's going to explode. They will give us warnings and we may not listen to them, right? We probably don't pay much attention to the billboards that say don't text and drive, which I found out recently is worse than statistically drinking and driving, texting and driving. We hear those warnings, and we're like, eh, that's for the other person. You know, I'm an exception, right? Uh, we think there's a glitch, or we're like, kind of like, eh, maybe, maybe that's not for me. Um, but if we were to go to the doctor one year, and they were saying, you have a life-threatening illness, and if you don't change something about what you're doing, or if you don't take this medicine or go through this regimen, you're going to die we would heed that warning. We would do whatever we can to heed his advice. When we come to the Christian Bible, we open it up, maybe we're in the prophets, maybe we're in Revelation, which we're reading uh, tonight, and we hear these warnings. Tonight we're, we're going to be reading about trumpets. These trumpets are warnings. There's seven trumpets that are sounded Um, And we often think it's like the glitchy fire detector, the glitchy smoke detector. You know, I don't know. This seems, I don't like this God. This God seems mean. Or maybe we're misinterpreting it. Maybe there's a different way, a different angle to come at this. Um, Friends, the alarms that are going off in Revelation are alarms for us that we should hear and heed because there's a warning in them. And I I want to clarify what I mean when I say warning. If a smoke alarm goes off, it's saying, get out of the house, there's a fire, right? So in every warning, there is hope, right? There's a big difference between getting stopped by a cop and getting a warning and getting a ticket, (laughs) right? So these trumpets that we're gonna get into uh, in Revelation, There's a message of hope within each trumpet that is sounded. And so we're going to first look at these seven 
warnings, these seven trumpets, and then we're going to look at these two witnesses and how we can be a part of witnessing to Jesus in the world. I want to go ahead and be very upfront about what these warnings are and what we are witnessing to. The warning is this. Don't place your hope in this world. Don't place your hope in this world. And the message of the witness is this. There is hope in heaven. Don't place your hope in this world. There is hope in heaven. So let's start with these warnings, these trumpets. Don't place your hope in this world. Let's start reading in uh, verse 7, chapter 8. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on the third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. I'm going to stop with just those four trumpets and point out something. Each of these trumpets and each of the kind of disasters that come after it are upon the natural world, right? There's the earth, the trees, the green grass, the mountains, the sea, uh, the, the, the stars and the sun and moon and the sky, right? This might, if you have read the book of Exodus, it might recall some of the plagues in Egypt. Now, let me just review that story for you. The Hebrew people were enslaved in Egypt. Their entire tribe was together uh, enslaved, and they were... Uh, doing hard labor, um, they were um, not doing so well. <laughs> Let's put it like that. Um, and God rose, uh, raised up Moses, who was this prophet, uh, to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt and into uh, the wilderness and ultimately into the promised land. And each time that Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, uh, there was a plague. And that plague entailed uh, darkness, the water being turned to blood, the water not being able, uh, you can't, couldn't drink the water. Um, and later on, we'll see locusts. These plagues, uh, these trumpets, we should uh, kind of have that memory in the background. And the background is the story of Exodus. All of these trumpets kind of uh, speak to figurative things, these symbols that we should search for meaning in them. We're not thinking of these things as necessarily literally happening in the future. The, the destruction may happen in similar ways, but we're looking for the meaning in the symbol. So if it's re referencing the Old Testament plagues, what's the meaning in that? What meaning should we get out of that? Well, 
if it's just uh, this destruction happening on the creation, we need to think about um, how we view creation, how we view this world. Now, what I'm saying is, is we often, our hearts are turned to worship things in this world most of the time. Um, we, we see something of physical beauty. We see uh, money, alcohol, food, uh, some sort of pleasure. Uh, we see our intelligence. We see these things in the world and we begin to worship them. We begin to worship the creation and ignore the creator. Our hearts are turned towards these idols, if you will, as opposed to the one who made these things. In other words, God. Now, these four trumpets and the destruction that follows, there's nothing inherently wrong with the grass, right? There's nothing inherently wrong with the mountain. The mountain didn't do sin so that God sent this mountain into the sea, right? In the same way, there's nothing inherently wrong with intelligence, beauty, being liked by others, money, power. There's nothing inherently wrong in them in uh, and of themselves. But if we're not giving thanks to God, if we're worshiping them and not the creator, we are enslaved. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 says, all things are lawful for me. In other words, all the gifts of creation are good, but I will not be enslaved by anything. These trumpet blasts are warning to remember you're not meant to be a slave. You're meant to be free. Let's move on to trumpets five through seven. The fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth and he was given a key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. And then from the smoke came locusts on the earth and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Skipping down to verse 13. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had this trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They were, wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of uh, sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. And fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads. By means of them, they wound. I'm leaving out some of this. This is really hard stuff to read. These are really hard warnings to hear that this might 
one day take place, something similar to this. Uh, I've really enjoyed all four seasons of the Stranger Things series on Netflix. Uh, you knew this was coming, Serena. Um, so it's set in Hawkins, Indiana. Anybody from Indiana here? Uh, to me, it seems like just like your classic Midwestern town, right? It could be anywhere in the United States. And uh, the series is kind of uh, built upon this, this premise that there's this alternate dimension called the Upside Down. And it's sort of a version of Hawkins. It has the buildings, it has the trees, it has the street corners and everything, but it's darkness. It's, it's the domain of these evil creatures. There's uh, the Demogorgon, the Demodogs, the Mind Flayer, Demo Bats in the fourth season, uh, the Spider Monster, and master of them all, Vecna. And what you find out is that there is a connection that is made through this portal. I don't know if it's called a portal. There's this, just the opening that causes evil stuff to happen in Sonny Hawkins. And they realize that it corresponds to this evil realm that is beneath them. And so there are these these attacks, these, these mind games, or these possessions that occur, there are these murders even, and they have a connection to the upside down. Now this cosmology, this way of thinking is not a new thing to stranger things. Um, the beings that are described here are sort of along the lines of what we see in this show. But what does this have to do? What does this have to do with us? Like, like, how do we even begin to interpret these things? Well, I want to go back to this idea of idolatry, right? If idolatry is not worshiping an idol that you made out of gold necessarily, but anything, anything in the created world, worshiping it instead of what you owe the Creator in worship. What we often think is that the solution to our idolatry is removing that thing from our lives. If I could just get rid of this, uh, this source of temptation, if I could just uh, cut myself off from the, this world, uh, the world or this person or whatever it is, then that problem is eliminated. And what that does is it doesn't understand the depth of the problem doesn't understand the darkness and what's going on in, if you will, the upside down uh, in idolatry. What we find is that in our idolatry, there is a darkness present. There is a spiritual force at work, even a personal or demonic form, though it is invisible. We begin to recognize that there's an enemy that wants us to be destroyed by this addiction, by this idolatry. It wants us to be destroyed. It wants our souls. So what these trumpets describe are these beings, and it, and it later describes their faces like the faces of men and their hair like the hair of women. It describes parts of them that are very probably, if you're only looking at their face, very attractive. Something that you would at first see, oh, that's someone I want to talk to. That's something that I, I desire, right? And in the shape of idolatry is that 
while we may see only the beautiful part, the attractive part, what we don't see is the stinging scorpion tail. That is what is destroying us. Right? Let's, let's think about a sin, um, an addiction you might have, whether it's to pornography, whether it's um, overeating, um, maybe it's um, self-loathing, right? Any of these things that we struggle with, um, we can see how taken to a certain point, they could destroy us. And so what Revelation is trying to do it's trying to give us a fuller picture of what's behind our idolatry. It's ugly. It's venomous. It's out to destroy you. The faces of evil are often attractive until they're unmasked to be who they are, right? It says in the Bible elsewhere that, the, that Satan often appears as an angel of light. One that is very attractive. One that you want to be around until you see who he really is. A prophet in the Old Testament had prophesied that locusts would one day come and bring judgment on the earth. And locusts, if you know anything about locusts, I don't. But I do know this. They go after vegetation. But these locusts are different. They don't go after vegetation. They go after human beings. They are sent by Satan, right? It talks about this, this abyss, Vecna, the one who's master over all these evil forces. Why do we, why are we here right now talking about this? Well, there's a trumpet blast. There's an alarm going off. There's a call to repentance. What God is saying to us, he's saying, turn from your idols. This is a warning. Turn from worshiping creation and serving Satan to worship me. Worship God, the creator, and the king who is coming. It says in verse 20 that there will be some who do not repent. It says that the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor do they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So the enemy takes some for his own, but what is the end of the story? In the Rings of Power, which is the new series, uh, Amazon Prime, the Lord of the Rings spinoff, Galadriel, hold up. Galadriel, right? They say it with some sort of roll of the tongue. This, this elven princess, um, she spent much of her adult life, it turns out, going after Sauron, who's kind of the Satan character in the Lord of the Rings kind of mythology. And uh, she takes a break, uh, for whatever reason, from going after Sauron, from trying to hunt uh, the, this demon. And uh, she goes back to the elf kingdom, and they say, great job, we want you to go to the Undying Lands, which is basically the elf heaven. Um, all, we know, all I really know about it is you have to get on a boat and you go across this water and you go to the Undying Lands. There's a name for it, I forget what it's called. 
Um, but it's basically heaven. It's the elven heaven. And on her way, she's, you know, in this robe and, you know, going to her reward, right? Eternal life in this elven kingdom, doing whatever you do in the elven heaven. On her way, um, instead of taking her, her rightful reward, she jumps into the sea, off the boat, plunges into the water, risking her own life to go back to Middle-earth to raise up an army to conquer Sauron. Now, where am I going with this? <laughs> Guys, who else did that? Who else is in heaven seated at the right hand of the Father who after he had conquered death, resurrected from the dead on the third day after being crucified, he ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is not going to stay up there and just hang out. Jesus sees and hears and feels what's going on down here. He is coming back to earth, raising up an army, and is going to put all of these locust hordes to death. He is going to destroy what is destroying us. This is how the story ends. This, remember I told you at the very beginning of the series, Jesus wins. Jesus is coming back. The thing that is killing us, Jesus is coming back with an army to destroy. The prince of darkness is going to be overthrown and the rightful king will sit in this place the upside down will be made right side up. Boom! <laughs> All right, if there's no pastor's ever done that, mark me down as the first. <laughs> the upside down will be made right side up. The warning is don't place your hope in this world. The message is there's hope in heaven. Who's that hope? Jesus. He's coming back, guys goes on, and we have two more chapters to cover, and I don't have a lot of time. I want to talk about a scroll and two witnesses. There's a scroll, and this scroll is an edible scroll. I don't know what kind of scrolls are edible, but this one is. And this angel gives John, who's the writer of uh, the book of Revelation, this scroll, and he says, eat it. So John takes the scroll and he eats the scroll and it's sweet to the taste, but when it hits his belly, it's bitter. What are we supposed to get out of that? <laughs> the scroll contains this mystery of the gospel that has now been revealed. That Jesus is coming to overthrow evil once and for all. And it is good news and it is sweet but it is also bitter. Uh, the same feeling you might get when you have to share hard news with someone, that bitterness in your stomach, how hard it's been to even uh, teach these, these uh, uh, truths. There's a bitterness in my stomach. But this is the witness, this is the message that the world desperately needs. 
What is that message? Uh, Jesus, when he started uh, preaching the gospel, doing his work, he kind of summed it up in two words. Repent and believe. The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe. We already talked about the repentance. That's in the trumpets. Repent. It's basically saying turn. Turn. You're enslaved. Be set free and believe in the king who is coming. The bitterness is necessary to warn Say, hey, watch out. The sweetness is the good news of the coming king. There, the, there's this story uh, in chapter 11 of these two witnesses, and it's kind of a, um, a symbolic uh, telling of these two witnesses who proclaimed the gospel in the world, and the world hated them so much for it that they killed them. And it says, instead of putting their bodies into a tomb they had a party, a big one. They exchanged presents. They sang and danced and rejoiced. But after three and a half days, these two witnesses, uh, God breathed life into them and they were raised. And then Jesus comes back in this sort of shortened story. In a court of law from ancient times until now, you have to have two witnesses. You can't just have one witness. You have to have at least two. These two witnesses represent the church who is a witness to Jesus' work. Um, What this is telling us is, one, we have a bitter and sweet message to the world. And two, The world is going to hate us for it, us being the church, us being Christians. We might die just like Christ died, but we will rise again just like Christ rose again. We might sound to some like a pesky fire alarm, but what we're really saying is we're trying to be a gentle and kind doctor who's saying, hey, something is killing you. Something is killing you. There's a way to fight it. The warning that we are to tell our friends, our family, our neighbors, is don't place your hope in this world, but place your hope in heaven. Why has Jesus not come back already? (laughs) Do you ever wonder that? Like, Why does he continually allow darkness to persist, evil to occur, wars to take place, me to fall into sin over and over and over again. Why does he not just come back already? That's a good question and a good thought. We should all long for Jesus to come back, but every day is a gift and an opportunity for someone to repent, for someone to believe, for someone to not be destroyed by the locust horde. You each have chances in your circles to tell someone a warning and a message of hope. This is a great responsibility. It's one we can trust Jesus to give us power to do, to give us courage to do. Let's pray that he would. Heavenly Father, 
Uh, these are big truths. Uh, they stretch our minds and imaginations. But Lord, we know that you are victorious in the end, that your gospel is good news, Lord. You want all to return to you. You want all to worship you. You want all uh, to be with you forever. Lord, give us courage to tell others of your love, of your sacrifice, and to be a witness in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.